If you are looking to continue developing your coaching skills or have a new coach that you'd like to train or onboard, check out our upcoming activity coaching clinics. We are hosting both our basics and advanced clinics every Monday for our basics clinic and Tuesday for our advanced clinic from 1.30 to 3 Central Standard Time. It runs October 2nd through November 6th, and you can learn more and register at heatherpriceconsulting.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Activity Coaching Conversations with Heather and Sabina, where we discuss coaching strategies for the overachievers, the slow starters, and everyone in between. We're going to share everything we know about instilling early success habits, the science behind activity, and how to build a values-based, FR-centered coaching philosophy. Activity Coaching Conversations is all about balancing accountability with the art and science of coaching. Hello and welcome, everyone. In today's episode, we will be discussing effective expectations and minimums. It really is such a comprehensive topic with many facets that if we wanted, we could probably spend hours on this topic. But for today, we just want to give you a few thoughts to consider and as always, some usable language that you can implement into your coaching conversations right away. I am going to dive in with thoughts on expectations first, and then Sabina is going to follow with her thoughts on minimums. So let's get started. When it comes to setting and implementing FR activity and productivity expectations, I like to consider the three C's. Number one, clear and concise. Number two, consistent. And number three, communicated often. So those are the three things I am going to cover specific to expectations. So number one, expectations need to be clear and concise. You want your expectations to be clear. And you might be thinking, well, duh, (laughs) everyone knows that. But why is clarity important? Clarity really is a magnet and people are attracted to clarity because clarity equals simplicity. Your FRs want to know what they need to do to win and to be successful. And as a leader, it's your job to minimize the uncertainty. And I'm going to say that again. I think that's really important. As a leader, it's your job to minimize the uncertainty. New FRs have enough uncertainty and questions when they start. They shouldn't be searching for or confused by the expectations in order to succeed. And with clarity comes confidence. And most new FRs, of course, right, can use all the confidence they can get. So you want your expectations to be clear. Sabina, what is one of your favorite games to play? I like to play Scrabble. Oh my gosh, do you know what? I would have picked Scrabble for you. That's how well I know you. (laughs) Seriously, I was like, I bet Sabina likes Scrabble. That's one of my favorite games too. So when you play Scrabble, do you like to win or lose? Oh, I'm not going to lie. I like to win. I'm (laughs) pretty ruthless. (laughs) Exactly. Right? And do you know what you need to do to win? Yes, I do. Exactly. So people love playing games because the rules are clear. They know how to keep score and they know what they need to do to win. People play because they want to win. But when you don't know the rules, we get frustrated, right? And we quit. And it reminds me of when my kids were little, that they used to love making up their own games. And it would take them about a whole two minutes to come up with some really complicated game with wonky rules (laughs) and maybe what it looked like to win if we were lucky, right? There was an objective of the game. But inevitably, someone would start asking questions about the rules or they'd wonder when the game was going to be over. Confusion would set in and they'd start arguing and then they'd give up before anybody could even win the game. So let's apply this to your FRs. 
For example, let's say they hear consistently that success is pace setter first 40. And they hear occasionally from another leader or two that success is pace setter first 40, but it's on 150 fact finders in your first six months. Which one is it? Is it both? What happens if you hit pace setter first 40, but you do it on 75 fact finders? Have you won? This is just one small, simple example of clarity. And we'll show you some more examples as we go through the three C's. We aren't going to tell you today what your expectations should be. That's up for your leadership team to decide, but they do need to be clear and simple enough that the FRs know whether or not they are winning. And then clarity around minimums is also important. So yes, I did say the word minimums. Clarity around minimums is important. And I know philosophically, some will argue that productivity minimums shouldn't exist. And while I agree that Some reps will do the bare minimum to get by. The fact is they have to know where the bottom is and what happens if they drop below the bottom. They have to know what it takes to stay. So win or lose, people want to know the rules of the game. And Sabina is going to go deeper into minimums in just a few minutes. So that was the first C. Actually, it's too clear and concise, but it's the first one in my books. Number two is consistent. Expectations need to be consistent. Let me give you some examples of what I mean. For starters, you can't change the rules in the middle of the game. It adds to the uncertainty. So if you tell them that 40 lives and 25 new clients wins the first six months and they're working next to a rep in their ninth month who has 10 lives and eight new clients, you start to wonder what winning really means, right? Have the rules changed? I thought winning was 40 lives, not 10. Do losers get to stay in this game? Can I do less and get to stay too? When you change the rules, the game gets confusing. Okay, so the rules need to stay consistent. The expectations need to stay consistent. Consistency also means the same rules for every player. In the example I just gave, expectations become what people see around them, not what they're told, not what's on a piece of paper that they were given in training. If they're told that the six-month expectation is 25 new clients, but they're sitting next to a nine-month rep with 15 new clients, the 25 new client expectation doesn't really hold any water. Now they have to wonder if they get to play by the same rules. So you also need consistency of message from leader to leader. Ask yourself, is every leader on the same page and do they have belief and conviction in the expectations that our organization has? Because if not, if your leaders are questioning what it means to succeed, you are going to get inconsistent or mixed messages, which are going to cause questions and frustration and confusion for your reps. So here's an example that I see all the time. Monday morning, right? Your FR goes into client builder. Let's say they had 12 QSs for the week. They had three facts, two case opens, three closes, a total of 13 points. They get grilled about their efforts and results while they're in that meeting, right? They know that they haven't won the week. Then on Tuesday, that same FR meets with their mentor who looks at the same activity and is like, hey, not a bad week. Keep up the great work. (laughs) Not the best example of consistent messaging, correct? And then an excellent exercise. This is my favorite, such an impactful exercise. This will help you measure consistency across your leadership team is Give each leader on the team an index card and have them write down what they believe are the new FR expectations. And undoubtedly, somebody is going to ask, do you mean the expectation for six months or for 12 months? Activity expectations or productivity expectations? Do you mean expectations or minimums? These are all the questions that you're going to get, right? The answer is yes. So don't give them too much info. Just tell them to explain their FR expectations they would if they were talking to a new rep. I am telling you, it is such an eye-opening, impactful exercise to take them through. And then the last piece around consistency is that consistency also means follow-through. Expectations 
and minimums for that matter, need to be adhered to. So what is the plan when expectations aren't met? What are the consequences? Because consequences need to be equally clear and concise as well. So is the consequence a performance plan with a clear outline of what they need to do to stay? Is the consequence a career conversation? Or is it, okay, well, you didn't hit the expectation, but you're above minimum, so you get to stay. I'm not saying I recommend that, but I see that a lot. If you don't have a plan to help people meet the expectations, you're quickly going to be surrounded by mediocrity. People that aren't hitting the expectations, but they haven't fell below the minimum. So they're just going to hang out, right? Don't bother putting expectations or minimums in place if you aren't going to follow through. And then a couple points on the third C, which is communicated. Expectations and minimums need to be communicated. Number one, make sure that expectations and minimums are in writing. I know, again, duh. (laughs) But here's the thing. You'd be surprised how many offices create this beautiful visual, right? It's handed out to the FR in training, never to be seen again. It's shoved in a folder or it's sitting in a box account somewhere. What happens to that document after you give it to them? Make sure they see it visually. Maybe it's in the training suite. Maybe they have a copy of it up in their office. Make sure it's reviewed in activity coaching, board reviews, client builders, et cetera. You can't communicate enough. You can't over-communicate. So communication comes in the form of recognition as well. Too much time spent pointing out the people that aren't meeting expectations. And trust me, they know they aren't meeting them when more time really should be spent on celebrating the people and pointing out the people and recognizing those that are meeting the expectations and discussing what they're doing to be successful. And lastly, communication also includes tracking, tracking progress. So we know, and Sabine, I know you're a huge believer in this as well, what gets measured gets done. Yep. And measuring and tracking activity is a huge part of activity coaching. So again, a whole nother podcast, right? We could do on tracking (laughs) activity. Maybe we'll do that, but you need to keep score. So that's the only way to really know that you are winning. And then finally, I just want to reiterate how you position expectations is so important. Expectations are not meant to be negative. Winning is a good thing, right? We established that. People play because they want to win. Sabina and I talk a lot about the gift of high expectations and the nuances around making exceptions. So to learn more about how to position and coach to those expectations, you'll definitely want to check out our activity coaching clinics. Sabina, let's talk a little bit. I'm going to transition to you about the other side of expectations. Dun, 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 right? Minimums. <laughs> yes, the dark side. The dark side. <laughs> so take it away. Yep. So what Heather was talking about really are the aspirational expectations, like the big picture. And with that in mind, I want to balance that out by talking about something we don't like to talk about much. And so we think if we ignore it, no one will ever be the wiser. And that's not really true. So Heather, I love what you said earlier about our job as leaders being to minimize uncertainty. And that means thinking big for people, but also providing the safety net. This business is an unlimited opportunity, but that can be scary. People like boundaries. They like boundaries at the top and boundaries on the floor. So imagine playing a football game with no yard markers and no clock, right? Like you're just going up and down the field, but you never really know if you're advancing or how much time is left or if you're winning. So it goes back to what Heather said, what gets measured gets done. It's no fun to play games if you don't know the rules and you don't know how you're going to win. So think about this. If you don't have minimums, then anything goes, right? Like not everybody is going to play at the top of the field. And that means all behavior is acceptable. The other piece that Heather kind of touched on is if minimums aren't enforced, then people focus on what story can I tell to get an exception? 
rather than making the effort to push through and do what's required to continue on in the career. Now, of course, this all starts with recruiting, right? Like all roads lead to recruiting. We used to say a long time ago, you can't take a duck to Eagle School, right? If there are reservations in the recruiting process, these things are only going to be magnified after contracting. So one of the reasons or one of the things I hear a lot, and Heather, I know you do too, is how much people like someone even when they're not making it, right? Like we really like them, we're rooting for them, we want them to succeed. And I get that, but I'm here to tell you, sadly, liking someone isn't enough to ensure their success. Right, or they're a good person. Yeah, exactly, they're a good Mm -hmm. person. Our managing partner used to say this, we kind of assume that you're gonna like people that you recruit for the most part and that they're gonna be good people. So the real issue is can they and will they do the work that's necessary to succeed? Minimums are the safety net. It doesn't mean we think less of you as human beings. It's just that statistically, we know the odds of your succeeding diminish the closer you come to minimums and especially if you fall below them. You probably have had people who come into this career from other sales type backgrounds. And when we have this conversation in the training process, they'll sometimes talk about how they didn't know if they were succeeding or not succeeding day to day. They didn't get any information around. They know the rules of the game. And so they welcome the boundaries at both ends, the aspirational expectations and then the minimum requirements. The key is how you coach to both the aspirational expectations and the minimums. Obviously, you don't want to coach to the minimums. You want people to get beyond that. And I do want to say this, someone who makes minimums, I don't care how much you like them, that should not be a happy hour celebration, right? Like I see this all the time. People are like, oh, we love Heather so much and she made her minimums. We're going to take her out and put her on our shoulders and buy her a drink. Making minimums just means that you have bought some more time for yourself, but you're going to have to make some significant changes. And I would say this whole thing is a process, right? It's not like you tell people what the minimums are on the first day of training and then you never talk about them again because people aren't going to remember that. You've got to talk about the continuum between minimums and aspirational expectations all the time. I want to give you a different perspective too. So you might not think about this or realize this, but your top performers are not talking amongst themselves about how nice you are for giving people a second, a third, or a 10th chance. They're wondering how long you're going to let that subpar behavior go on. And I experienced this firsthand when in our network office, when I was part of the network office staff, we got serious about minimums. And some of our best producers, we set them, we stuck to them, we terminated some people, and they literally came up to me and said, we wondered how long you were going to let that go on. So if you want your top performers to respect you as leaders, you have to help them see that you're going to work at both ends. You're not going to tolerate that subpar behavior. And also those people are not going to succeed long-term. So you're just letting them kind of hang out, as Heather said, and not get any better. It's difficult to terminate people you like. I get that. I understand that. The key is to have a consistent message and to never deviate. And it needs to be objective and data-driven. It's not that we love you any less as a human being, but statistically... We know that people who are performing where you are don't have much long-term success. I did some consulting for a new managing partner and a new DD, and they needed to raise the bar on expectations and on minimums and consequences. And so we gave every under 5 FR who was already part of the agency a three-month plan, and we never wavered. And so predictably, this is what happens. As the deadline approaches, the reps who are clearly not going to make it started pleading their cases. 
because this had always worked in the past. And again, we didn't waver and we ended up terminating several of them. But here's the upside of that. We never had that issue again because people saw that we were serious and the terminations went as smoothly as those things can go because those issues had been discussed. It was very clear the outcome that we expected and we never deviated from the message. So it wasn't an unexpected thing. And I know, Heather, you have a pretty strong example of that as well, mm-hmm. where that might send some people thinking, oh my gosh, but it's such a strong example. Do you want to share that? Yeah. And you are a part of this whole experiment. It actually was called part of this experiment as well. So we were working with a group of five offices all around early productivity. And at the time, there was an expectation that the leaders of the organization needed to pick a six-month minimum. And all but one, so four of the five, picked a lower minimum number of lives in the first six months. But one office picked a pretty high number. They picked 20 lives in the first six months. So if the FR didn't hit 20 lives, they would be terminated at the six-month mark. So sure enough, six months in, a particular rep finished at 19 point, I don't know, like 19.5. It was definitely in the 19s. And what a conundrum, right, this leadership team was in because here they were like, my gosh, do we terminate somebody that hit 19 lives? Like, that's not the worst, right? We've seen people that have done far worse who have stayed in the business. So they decided though, that they were going to follow through and execute on the minimums that they had put into place. And they said they took responsibility for it. They said, shame on us, number one, for letting somebody finish that close and not helping them across the finish line. Number two, this is a culture-making or culture-breaking decision we are making right now. And they made the decision to terminate that rep. And it was probably one of the most difficult decisions they had to make. But I tell you, they never had to make it again because the culture made the decision for them moving forward. Everybody talked about it from that day forward. It was very clear. If you don't get to 20, you will not be here. And it just made things so much easier moving forward. Not to mention that obviously their average lives in the first six months significantly increased from that day forward as well. Yep. It's a risk, but it's one worth taking to elevate the culture because you don't elevate the culture by lowering the bar. And if you think back to a couple episodes ago, when we talked about radical candor. It's not mean, it's clear. And I think that's true. So in moving up to that decision, right, termination of a rep, it should be a process, not an event. One of the things that helped us was that we played some of the roles that we talked about last time. We were kind truth tellers and tacticians. Like we laid it out, we explained our reasons, we helped them come up with a plan. Now, whether or not they executed on that plan, that was up to them, right? Like you can only do your part of it. But one thing I think is important to think about, we talk about or we don't talk about really terminations very much. I think it's so important that when you're terminating a rep because they're not gonna make it in the business or they choose to leave or whatever, You have to do it and let them keep their dignity, right? Like how you terminate people says a lot about your culture. It's a process, not an event. And it really should never be a surprise unless obviously it's a compliance issue or something. But think about this. Unless retention, long-term retention goes over 50%, you will always have more former reps in your community than current ones, Hmm, right? There are always going to be more people who don't succeed at this business but who go on to succeed at a lot of other things, largely in part because of what they learned here. And they have a story to tell about you, about your office, about the Northwestern Mutual, about the planning process. So you just want to keep that in mind because that's a branding piece that we don't often think about. So one idea I want to leave you with is when we had a new training class, I would take them through this quick exercise about minimums. And I would ask them these questions. Give us a couple of reasons why you think an office would have minimums. 
What are some consequences of not having minimums? What impact might not enforcing minimums have on the office culture in general, on your top performers, and on your lower performers? And so when you ask people to tell you why you need minimums, it just anchors that in their minds. And that's usually where you'll flush out people who are like, yeah, we didn't know where I came from. I never knew if I was on the top and the bottom and the middle. And so it helps you position those minimums by having them tell you why they're necessary. Those questions are so powerful. I really Mm -hmm. hope people rewind and jot those down because they are powerful, (laughs) powerful questions. So with that thought. Yes. Now it's time for our Say That that again. 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 All right. So for today's Say That Again segment, we often get the question, how do you coach to expectations when no one is hitting them? Such a good question, right? And that can be super challenging. The idea here is to hone in on one person who you feel has the potential to be the barrier breaker, if you will. And that's what we are going to role play. So Sabina, you'll be the FR. I'll be the FR, yep. You'll be the FR. And how many QSs are you doing per month on average? So I'm getting about 50 referrals a month and feeling good about it because everybody else is getting 40. All right. Sounds good. (laughs) Okay. Sabina, let's talk a little bit about your QSs for a few minutes. We have noticed lately that as a whole, our new financial reps are not really where we want them to be in terms of QSs. In fact, as a group, it looks like they're averaging around 40 referrals a month. Where do you fall into that group? Well, I'm not at 40. I know I'm averaging about 50 a month. So I'm feeling pretty good that I'm like a good 10 referrals ahead of most people. So Mm kind of leading the pack. Yeah. So while you aren't at 80 yet, which of course is where ideally we would like you to be, and I'm sure where you would like to be, I feel that of the group, I really believe that you have the greatest potential to get to that 80 before anybody else. I know you've had a few months where you've come close, right? I mean, you've had a couple months where you've been at 65, close to 70, right? And your language has really improved. So I think you could be that person to help bring the group up and to really show them that's possible. What do you think about that? Oh, Gosh, I hadn't really thought about that. I would love that because I know that if I could get to 80 consistently, I feel like it would dramatically change my business. But I was kind of feeling pretty good about being pretty far ahead of everybody (laughs) at 50. So (laughs) it's kind of changing the way I think about that, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And this is about progress, not perfection, right? I mean, yes, ultimately, we want to see you at 80 QSs a month. Do we expect you to be there next week or next month? Not necessarily, right? We want you to get there. But if we could even make progress the next coming weeks, the next month, we would love to see that. So what are one or two things that you know you could be doing better when it comes to prospecting? Well, one thing I know for sure is I could do a better job of preparing. I always feel like I'm kind of a natural at leading into prospecting. So I don't often do much in the way of preparing. And I know you've pointed out to me before that sometimes leads to missed opportunities and I forget to ask sometimes. and. So I feel like if I had some preparation, if I could discipline myself to prepare, that would be a huge step in that direction. Perfect. Okay, so I'm going to stop us there. I think that's a great example of the rep like buying into it, saying, okay, great. Yes, I think I could do this, right? I see and here are some things I could do better. So you would obviously take that, run with it. But the whole idea is that you have planted the seed, right? That you believe in them and that you want them to be the barrier breaker. Another thing that could happen is potentially maybe they don't buy in, right? Or maybe they say, oh, I don't know, I'm at 50, 80 seems impossible, right? It just doesn't seem like I could get there. And that's where I really would address what you and I call the success cycle, right? Is helping them see 
where they are in terms of number one, when you set a goal for somebody, they're typically in disbelief. Like, oh, I don't know, that seems impossible. And then they get a little bit of experience and they have hopeful skepticism, right? And then they have a little bit of success. They have some performance and they start to get results. So I would probably have a conversation with that rep if they didn't believe that they could do it, help paint the picture for them and show them how the success cycle works and help them understand that right now you're probably in a state of disbelief, right? But with a little bit of effort and a plan in place, we can make some progress. Mm -hmm. And I just would say, you'll never change things by trying to move a whole group. Right, yeah. You got to really pick the people that you think have the most potential and work with them individually to get them to do it. Because once people see that it can be done, then that excuse is gone, right? Someone's done it. So now it can be done. That's exactly right. All right. Well, that is a wrap. In our next episode, we'll be talking about the five steps to activity coaching and role-playing a typical activity coaching meeting. We look forward to you joining us then. Thanks for joining us today for Activity Coaching Conversations with Heather and Sabina. If you found value in this conversation, please like, share, and leave a review in your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about our activity coaching clinics and how to hone your skills, visit heatherpriceconsulting.com. Link is in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. Keep learning and growing.